1: Listen to the Astonishing Junk Drawer exclusively at Patreon.com slash
0: Legends. I was at the Stanley Hotel. Wow, mm. Kristen's not a bad artist. Mm. I didn't know she could draw. Fellow human beings on a wonderful planet we call Earth. Jeremy Corbell and, and George Knapp present this as, as this is genuine military-released footage.
1: He claimed that he saw a UFO approaching the space station.
0: I watched the sequel recently. and That was a mistake. Twenty-two. This is Quark, a Buck Henry show about garbage men in space. I wouldn't worry about that. You're on so many lists now, and it, it's too many for them to track. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Simply Safe, Storyworth, Shady Rays, Gerber Life Insurance, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. Two weeks ago, in Part One of our series, Entombed at Zorichina we gave you an overview of the baffling, astonishing legend surrounding the excavation of a pit in a remote part of Bulgaria. It all started with a villager who had a dream in which three prominent Bulgarian historical figures came to him and told him that he was descended from an ancient czar named Samuil. They informed him that Samuil's treasure was buried right there in his hometown of Zorichina, and he must be the one to leave Bulgaria to uncover it. A bizarre chain of events unfolded from that moment forward. The excavation of the site led to numerous unusual discoveries by a military operation that descended on the village to dig in secrecy for the Tsar's lost treasure. The dig was led by a collaboration between boots on the ground and four psychics, or mediums, gaining messages from the ethereal plane about how to proceed. Three were on site and one was at a command center and liaising with various Bulgarian generals almost out of the gate, there was infighting and disagreement on how to proceed. Arguments about the value of input from these so-called psychics led to strong conflicts. The soldiers and officers present were routinely asked to undertake complex tasks requiring deep knowledge of mining engineering and geology. The instructions the psychics were giving were not only difficult to execute, but also challenging to understand. It wasn't just the specifications of each day's digs that were being dictated either. On occasion, it went so far as to specify who would do the digging, for example, officers only. But tonight, we'll move past all that and try to imagine what was actually buried at zarichina Was something recovered? Or was the concrete the Bulgarian military eventually poured into the opening designed to protect humanity by entombing whatever was there forever? <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is listener Nikolai and Forrest Burgess.
0: Forrest entering the hole was much more than a curiosity. It was an exciting moment, a mixture of fascination, joyful thrill, surprise, and a negative feeling from the twilight, a lack of oxygen, and sinking into an abyss in which your ears fade. I would compare it to something like Journey to the Center of the Earth. Demeter Statkov in his article for the Bulgarian newspaper Blitz. Join us tonight for part two of our series Entombed in Tsarichina. And we're back. That we are. We keep coming back like a bad rash. For which there is no unguent. (laughs) Uh, Do we have any announcements this week?
1: Well, yeah. You know, we've been checking out a lot of other podcasts lately. I just wanted to reiterate how great these Mm. shows are. If you missed us talking about them in a previous episode... There's a part of me that wouldn't mind doing a spinoff show, actually, with some of these hosts for a general roundtable. Maybe I can talk you into that, Forrest. Ah, Um, But, uh, folks, the podcast landscape is evolving a lot and rapidly at the moment. And independent shows like Astonishing Legends and these other ones we talk about need to get the word out to compete with large networks and celebrity-hosted pods spilling out of the pockets of the major players.
0: Yes. Well, to that end, we just want to remind everyone how great these most recent four shows are that we mentioned. So we'll have links to all four in our episode's individual web pages in the suggested listening sections. That's above uh, the sponsor codes. Towards the bottom, each show gets its own special little section on the website. Well, the first is Everything is Creepy, hosted by YouTube content creator Lauren Z-Side and her husband Bobby.
1: Yes, that's a great pod. Also, look for the Talking Heads Review, hosted by Adam Thorne and Sean Hulahan, as well as the spooky Let's Not Meet, hosted by our friend Andrew Tate, which uh, we both
0: just appeared on. And finally, one we'll be talking more about in a bit tonight, Minds of Madness.
1: Oh, man, I love this show. Mm-hmm. Tyler, the host, is uh, like us. He came from sound editing for yeah. TV and film, so his production value is top flight, mm-hmm. and he has a truly amazing voice in delivery. And on top of that, Minds of Madness has been supporting our show on Patreon five and a half
0: years. So uh, more on his show later tonight. <laughs> Hard to believe. Yeah, they're also in our Facebook group, too. So that's something. Well, Look, folks, if you're looking for some new pods, find and subscribe to Everything is Creepy, the Talking Heads Review, Let's Not Meet, and Minds of Madness wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Support your local indie shows. Oh, and one other quick thing. I'm going to see our friend ska punk band Hans Gruber and the Diehards May 9th at Monstercade in Winston-Salem. We inspired a song they wrote about black-eyed children. They were in town, so definitely going to check that out. All right, that's almost it. Oh, uh -oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah, we we have one more thing to mention.
0: Oh. Oh, I was hoping you'd forget about that. All right, hold on one second. I got <clears throat> no, some green tea here. No, no,
1: do it now. Go. Monster, Monster Fest 2023, 2023 Friday, June second and third.
0: Friday, Friday,
1: Friday. Uh, yeah, June second, and then all day Saturday, June third. Two. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. We have to say where where this is at. The DoubleTree by Hilton in downtown Kenton, Ohio. And when again? The first weekend of June 2023. All right, folks, plan your travel now because we'll be at this full day event with vendors, artists, and guest speakers. That's the uh, on the third there, including our friend, Rich Haddam. Hey guys, it's me. I can't wait to see you in
0: Ohio. I think it's going to be a long- Richard Haddam.
1: And um, uh, Jim Harold. Jim Harrell. So, okay, yeah, we're even trying to put together a fan meetup with Jim, too, if we can secure a venue for that Saturday night, the 3rd. A meetup! Okay, I I think we're good on the hype, Okay! So, folks, if you've got the time, we've got the place. Small Town Monsters Monster Fest in Canton, Ohio. Tickets are available now at the Small Town Monsters website and Facebook event page. There will also be tickets at the door. It's family-friendly, and children under 12 will be admitted for free. They're also premiering a new Small Town Monsters film... On the Trail of Bigfoot, Land of the Missing.
0: Bigfoot! 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 Bigfoot!
1: Uh, come on, man.
0: Sorry, not sorry. I can't (laughs) help it, that's what I do. Lackluster, not berry impression. Scat is my rotten soldier. My sweet cheese. My good time boy. (laughs)
1: all right uh so that premiere of that small town monsters film i'm not going to say it again because i don't want him to punch it is the night before at the canton palace theater and yes we will be there too tickets will be available for that through the theater's website so check that out folks uh we'll have links in the show notes as we always do and if we get the meetup landed we'll of course let you know that too all right forrest are you ready to get to tonight's
0: show hold on a minute i'm going to irish up my tea Well
1: this story seems to have struck a chord with a lot of people from all over the world. We got a lot of interesting emails right after part 1
0: there. People love mysterious holes. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not even joking that's just, it no, I was thinking about this the other day philosophically, why do we I always think about this, why do we love the mysteries we do and and which ones? And anything below the dirt Anything in these massive realms of which, uh, you know, in the reality and world that we occupy, the sky seems empty. But no, there's gremlins up there and they can hop on your plane at will. And there's spirits of the air. People, some people believe there's all kinds of manner of invisible things floating up there. And now we got uh, maybe Chinese balloons. I don't know what the heck those are. All I know is that several still have not been identified or explained thoroughly or satisfactorily. And apparently there's a lot more that they didn't tell us about. Hey, what
1: about that sphere? We, I hope we're going to talk about that in the junk The drawer.
0: Baghdad bet sphere is what I call it. The bets of Baghdad or Baghdad bets.
1: They showed that to Congress people. They're like, we don't know what this is. Right. That was shown to Congress the other day. So.
0: But it does have a sheen to it. And it's like, well, it's just a drone, except that there's no... Except pro- it's a ball. They, they, well, there's no the <laughs> propellers. You've seen yeah. uh, drones... In action, there's propulsion. So it's all very mysterious. But my point is that uh, you get beyond our atmosphere and space is mysterious. It's just vast, but it's mysterious. And what's under the water in the oceans is also mysterious. And of course, everybody knows that uh, a very small fraction of it has been explored by us. And uh, I know people like to think, like, oh, we know everything about the oceans. Yeah, we know what's no. completely down there. You don't. We
1: don't know squat. I just was reading about a giant canyon off of Monterey that they were mm-hmm. talking about is so deeper than the Grand Canyon. And they keep finding all kinds of stuff down there. And then the other thing I wanted to say is if people have been listening to us for eight years, you will know for the whole time this show has been on, I have said that I thought a lot of this stuff was coming from the oceans, USOs, Unidentified Submerged Objects, if that right. acronym hasn't been changed, because they're changing all of them every three days now. But you know, it, before the Tic Tac story even came out, there was Shag Harbor incident, which I right. would love for us to cover at some point. Our good friend Jordan Bonaparte covered that on the Nighttime Podcast.
0: Yeah, we were there. Uh, we were guests on his show for yes. long Long time yeah. ago. Yeah.
1: Yes, we were, and he invited us to come up and check that out personally, which I might take him up on. It would be fun. He lives right next to that
0: place, so and right,
1: right, right. next
0: to Oak Island. Well, it makes sense. Any advanced tech would be transmarine, could fly through the air. Well, I just I just recently watched the movie AI. Okay, uh, I haven't seen it in a while. And, Give it another shot because it's a lot more relevant and in context these days. I, I believe because yeah. of uh, recent developments and people, uh, you'll get also get to see what may not have been predicted correctly, but a lot of it is spot on, especially our attitude. Yeah, and what's happening now as it's going to affect things like tonight's show, as far as AI perhaps predicting where to dig or using it to triangulate with engineering the best ways to do things. And of course, this is uh, what we're talking about here is in the 90s. So you didn't have a lot of that and you didn't have a lot of remote sensing. That's what satellite folks don't get upset. That is <laughs> satellites using a uh, LIDAR <laughs> and other techniques to find geological features and eliminate a lot of this guesswork. Whole cities discovered in Southeast Asia that have been swallowed up by uh, the jungle. And that's my other point yeah. here is that another fascinating thing I, I realized from watching uh, Kuzgesakt videos, those really terrific animated explainer yes. videos, yes. is that the question was, if there was something buried in the ground, like evidence of an ancient civilization, is it possible for us to find it? And essentially the answer is, that the older it is, is that the earth swallows up everything eventually. Yeah, it can be long gone, no trace. That's my point here, connecting it to Zarichana is that there could have been something down there at one point or stashed in what was a shallow cave and then over the eons, it gets swallowed up by the earth. If it was so old, you would have so much sediment growth and uh, just dirt piling up over it that you would never know. It's so far down, you would never discover it, unless you knew exactly where to dig. Now, that's the difference here, is that if they did find something, and it was real, and not just (laughs) they're dumping their trash there, they were given a hint. Because obviously, per logic, you can go poking holes and everything around the, uh, the hillsides and you'll never hit anything. But here, if they did, it was, in a way, weirdly spiritual, psychic guidance, which told them where to dig.
1: Yeah. And that's some of the weirdest parts of this story. And honestly, it's one of the first times in the history of our show, and I think a lot of it's because of the language barrier and translation, yeah. it's been hard for me to convey how weird the details of this story are when it comes down to the specifics of the types of communication happening between the psychics and these disembodied beings or intelligences or whatever. And we've heard and talked about for a long time on the show about people communicating telepathically with what they think are the greys or other disembodied aliens. Yeah. That they're not even sure what they look like, but they're getting these messages from them. And there's even stories uh, like one we mentioned before from that book called Above Black. Which was the guy who said that he went to a base and into a trailer and communicated telepathically with these beings who just gave numbers to him, which he then had to write down and pass on to his superiors. And he couldn't take a pencil and paper into the trailer and he couldn't take one out. So then he started trying to memorize the numbers. And when he got out, he decided they were coordinates, GPS or latitude and longitude. And so it's a fascinating book, but the, the point is that idea has been around a while. So now we're looking at what's happening here and that's essentially what these folks are saying is happening, but there's another component to these interactions that's that I, again, I said it's hard to convey. So if you're new to our show or you haven't heard our whole back catalog, what I would say to listeners who want to really understand the complexities and confusion of the communication between these Bulgarian psychics and whatever these beings were that are telling them where to dig is to listen to our series vertical plane. I think that best captures the confusing messaging and the warring factions, because the voices are fighting amongst themselves. Who's in charge? I'm leaving. I'm coming back. There's all this weirdness. There's a component of that there. I would say the vertical plane and also the siren call of Hungry Ghosts, they mesh together, which again is interesting to me because those stories are completely unrelated. I don't think there's any chance that the people who are at the heart of this story or the people who are at the heart of those other two that I just mentioned, ever cross paths or intertwined in any way, really. I just don't think that's likely. Yet, there are core components of these methods of communication that are very common across all three. So what does that say? Is Everybody's hoaxing and crazy and whatever, and they're doing it all the exact same way? Maybe Mm. so. We're all 99% similar genetically. But it's really fascinating too, because the thing that's happening with these voices that are talking to the three psychics who are coordinating this dig is they're arguing and they're giving them these really specific instructions about what to do. Like go this way, three degrees, make this one meter wide and a meter and a half tall at a downward angle of four degrees. They have to do this with every dig has this really Mm -hmm. specific engineering call and it's complicated. And you have to wonder if you believe any of this at all. And I don't know how to say that in Bulgarian. We'll need to ask our friend (laughs) uh, Nikolai. (laughs) Nikolai, I'm going to get you to do that. If you believe any of this at all, I want to hear it. So my question is: If that's what's happening, is it real data, or is it designed? Is it part of the trickster in the paranormal? And then you have uh, Colonel Svetko kanev who wrote the book "The Zorichina Phenomena, which we've referenced several times. And one of the things that take away from this book, and also from the psychic's point of view, this had a contact-like element to it. Now, and we bring up contact all the time, which yeah. is, I, I, you know, I get sick of our own references coming up over and over. <laughs> but it was this idea that this complicated gateway. And if they don't make this approach just right, it's not going to work. But if they do do it right, they could be connected to infinite galaxies and universes and other planets where there's a lot of different locations where this exact kind of gateway exists. And that's why it's so important that you do the exact right thing and follow the steps to the T, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to make that connection. The phone call is going to be a dead end. It's going to not work out. So all of that stuff, it's hard to convey because it's we can't translate the Bulgarian very well. But when you read a big section that Google has translated of Bulgarian to English, yeah. and a lot of its words salad, you can still get the through line. And that that's the through line of what's happening is that this there's a lot of complex messaging going on. And and uh, I think I've conveyed what I meant to
0: say, even though I probably didn't do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's other things you can think about as far as the direction. And of course, we, in the book, they haven't relayed all of them other than the path, as we said in the beginning, is a little like the pukios, uh, <laughs> the, the ojos, and that the path is spiraling down, yeah. not converging at a point, but it's a spiral downward path. It's not just a straight shot. So there's a reason for that. And if you wonder about the mandate from the beyond that only officers could dig in this certain spot. I was thinking about that. It's like, that is that not classist, I guess, but yeah. it's like, are they going to take more care? Is it something like an echo of uh, past human history where only knights, nobility, somebody who's taken an oath, somebody who's been anointed... Right. could touch this? Is there some sacred part of this that the lowly folks shouldn't be poking around in it?
1: Or is the trickster trying to make the higher-ups get their hands dirty on a fool's errand? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? If you believe any of this at all. I mean, it's- Right. It
0: could be a prank. Yeah. And then somebody by, uh, hey, you monkey dance. You you with the, uh, with the bars on your shoulder or the yeah. stars on your shoulder. We want you to do the dancing or the digging here. So- you know, who knows? Like I said, this is sometimes things that don't make sense, and it didn't make sense to them either. They just proceeded to do it for as long as they could until it got too expensive as, yeah. well, that's the overall story, was it the tragedy that swallowed millions, and I yes. think as it translates in the journalist's account – which is in Bulgaria, but we have the link, and you can, uh, yes. like I said, use Demetrius. Google or, or, right, you can, right, Stetkov. You, I reached out to him on Facebook. Uh, he did not get back to us. Here's uh, the other thing is that we have not received permission yet to use some of those photos. No,
1: and that's something I want to say. His photos are un. Believable. They right. are just, I mean, they are of the time. They were there. That's contemporaneous. There's the soldiers. It's not stage stuff. It's not stock yeah. footage. These are shots of the excavation. So we'll have links to those. You can go to his pages or the other pages where they've yes. been published and look at them. We can't personally share them without permission.
0: If you want to see photos of what this stuff looked like, at least as far as uh, is what they could show him. And again, he brought uh, one or two or several photojournalists with him on these trips because they knew they had a story. As he... Uh, reported is that they put a lot of work into the newspaper project they're working on called Night Work. Again, terrific name. One of those scenarios where they were sleeping in the newsroom, as he says, with their shoes on. And uh, it, it was his, uh, from the translation, it seems like he was uh, the assignment editor and they didn't know what to put on the front page. It's like, you got to get a story. Come on. And then, so he knew the head of the investigation department for the uh, Bulgarian military. And uh, he gave them the lead. And that's what they went and checked out. And yeah, even that guy didn't Because he had know. a
1: vacation cottage in yeah. Zarechina. And he was like, you know what? Guys have been out here for two years, digging a hole. And well, I went over there and they chased me away. And I was like, don't you know who I am? And they were like, we don't care, go away.
0: And so he left, but he said, there's something there. That's how we got the lead. Once again, as a refresher from part one, yeah. uh, to go check it out. And so he brought several uh, photojournalists with him. And so those are their photos. And again, we don't want to get in trouble or disrespect him in any way by reprinting them. But if you want to look, just check out the links in the yes. reference link section of the webpage and it's all there. You can go see everything. And I, and I was yeah. going to say too, get Google or some other uh, webpage to translate the page for you and you'll get it.
1: So going back to the origin of the idea, what was the first thing that folks thought this was? We go back to the Tsarichina resident, Demeter Kikiminov, who was the one that had the dream and in the dream... The three prominent figures came to him uh, Vazov, Rakovsky, mm-hmm. Levsky. Oh, all four, actually, because I think Botev also, they all appeared to him. And these are big figures in Bulgarian history. We talked a little bit about them in part one. You can go back and check that out or Google them if you want. They're all easy to find. These were hardcore dudes. They were leaders of Bulgarian revolutions, famous poet, that sort of thing. They came to him in the dream and they said, Hey, you know this already. Because he already theoretically knew that he was a descendant of the Tsar Samuel or Samuel. And he's told in the dream, not only are you a descendant of Samuel yeah. his blood runs through your veins. Zorichna is the hiding place of his great treasure, and you must lead all of Bulgaria to it.
0: Yeah, from the dream, uh, it was Rakovsky uh, patted yes. him on the shoulder, told him, Derzai, Dmitri, all of Bulgaria is looking at you now, and the future glory is yours. Nah. Okay, I'm going to, I guess I'll run with that. And I don't know, it hasn't perhaps really panned out, but what, the other thing we know is that dates and times are off. Yes. Uh, sometimes. And and yeah. uh, if you look at the Mothman prophecies story, locations are all like, this is going to happen here. It's like, not exactly in this spot. It's somewhere else. Right. Communications coming are vague. And you wonder, is that perched privileged position up high where you can see what's coming down the road, but maybe you don't have all the facts straight that you're relaying. You can right. see what it is, but you could say something's coming down the road. But you might be wrong about that. Something is coming down the road. You were just wrong about what it was. Right. So there's so many weird mechanics that are going on. And so I think the only thing maybe you can settle on is that something is going on, seems to be here, whether it is something important, nefarious, whatever mundane thing you want to say that the military is doing, or just perhaps it's a money grab, whatever it is, that something is going on. So that we've established and it is secret. So in determining what
1: might be in the pit, we'll start off with the most mundane possibility. And it's funny that this is mundane, but a great treasure of a czar. That's the most simple. It's not necessarily paranormal. It's just like, oh, is that what's down in this hole? This guy dreamt about it. Or there's a rumor that it's there. What is this idea about? I mean, could this be a possible origin for the village's name, Zerichina? Could it have something to do with it? This is where he hid the treasure. Right. By the way, the part of Zerichina, you know, it's broken into different little sections, is called Queen, this little area, I guess.
0: It's unclear because we don't know the backstory. Neighborhood. It's just kind of an assumed thing. But in the account from Kenev's book, in one of the the four-part online series that we've uh, mentioned the, the first time here posted online on the ForgottenBulgaria.com website by Viliyan Stefanov. There is a little explainer here, which I had made a note of to mention, because uh, we were talking about, you know, there's other towns that are named similarly, and they thought maybe it could be uh, for the big czar and little czar, meaning the father and the son. Oh, right. That's yes, one yeah. thing. But there is a passage here I'll read, and again, this is translated. And again, I believe this is Colonel of. I have been trying to find out where the name of the village comes from. I did not find a solid legend about this. According to the information of our, quote unquote, friends, our friends, in quotes, the old name of Zarichina is Zarevo. So there's Tsar in it. And again, that's uh, like an emperor. Which
1: sounds like Sarajevo, by the way. There
0: are connections there. And I think we did mention in part one, the difference between an emperor and a king. An emperor is uh, like the, uh, the chairman of the board where a king could be like a CEO of a part of a company.
1: And a czar is an emperor. Yes, czar is more of an emperor. So they're... closely, yes.
0: An entire region, an empire, could contain several kingdoms. They're like the the local managers. So uh, we all think uh, here in the U.S. states, like, king rules everything. It's like, well, but then there's uh, above that, the Holy Roman Emperor. You have somebody who's in charge of uh, the whole continent, perhaps, or close to it back in the day. So anyway, going on here... Sarevo could be another old name, according to the information that he's getting. He said, I couldn't learn more. My curiosity grew a lot when one day, studying the map of Bulgaria, I found that the area enclosed between Karjali, Mumchilgrad, Zlatograd, Nedalino, carries same name, Zarichina. Is this a coincidence or some invisible, unknown to us karma connects the village to this area? Another mystery, given that there are quite a few objects of unknown origin in the Rhodopes, and that's R H O D O P E S. Oh
1: yes, that's so a mountain range, I believe. Yeah, yeah, because I, I remember reading this too. Then because I, I went and looked that yes. up, they found um, there's an object, there's an out of place artifact, an out of place object that was <laughs> yeah. found
0: there. Yeah,
1: that looks like an axe head or something, but it's a it comes from the wrong time. It hasn't been. That's dated. Right. It's in a museum that's right. That's
0: what that is. It's got a hole for the wooden handle, I believe. And they they have uh, right. By all uh, accounts, they think it is a forged tool head, like an axe or a, a maul, right? You know, for splitting wood or something. But it
1: was found with like a mammoth tusk going through it or something. That's the problem. Yeah. Where it was found with a fossil. That's what I remember. Right. And they're like, okay, something's not right here. There are these folks, I, I read a little bit about that. It's a tangent, it's a side thing. And so I didn't go as deep on it. But uh, there are folks, I guess, that think, oh, well, this was part of a. a a dredging operation or something that fell off a machine a while back and it just sank down into the soil. There's other people like, I don't know, it was wrapped up pretty good with that fossil. And there's no way they were doing metalworking at the time that the fossil existed. Right. There's that whole thing. And I guess now it's just sitting in a museum and people are still arguing about it, about what it yeah, is. Yeah. We love
0: OOPAs, out of place yeah. artifacts. Out of place artifacts. That's yeah. kind of what uh, kind of is saying here. And what I love about him, yes, he's a military man. He's also a man of science. People forget that. He's uh, head of the, yeah. the scientific investigation department or certainly a high-ranking officer within it. And, and as he uh, ends this passage, he says, another question for science, which she must give an answer. He's kind of combining, and I, I love this approach, the mystical, the metaphysical, with the scientific, and with the military, governmental, administrative, all kind of the, as the umbrella for it. So he's uh, got a mind of wonder, and he wants answers, and it's not just out to... Uh, debunk this. Certainly nobody here, again, we had uh, terrific listeners saying that they were a little embarrassed about the older generations, perhaps from the yeah, 90s, but right. there's nothing to be embarrassed right. about. I love that point of view, rather than people pooping on everything. Well, that's not that's uh, that's right. all that that's true. Right. So anyway, it's a great adventure. It's a great mystery. Why not? Although it was um, expensive for them, <laughs> but if you have the funds, I would. Uh, I would try that. I would put my money there. So in any case, though, they're trying to make sense of this historically but also metaphysically paranormally yeah if it's come from a dream which a lot of real stuff has and and uh amazing things have been found with people reporting they've dreamt about it and you try to apply real world things like digging you know what i'm saying construction engineering mining techniques into something that was sparked by a dream and you actually find something then you have to reconcile that with well, you got a dream and actually did find something based on this guy in the village's dream. How did that yeah. happen? So if that really is the case, like I said, it's a real, uh, they've been finding real forces down there and strange events, strange occurrences, And so if something's turning into it being real based on a very spurious, uh, tip. Then you have to kind of reconcile that with science and engineering and, and real kind of things that we concern ourselves with. And how do you do that? Well, you have to do it with an open mind. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think that's what they're doing right. here. So it's like, okay, let's pretend for a second this this stuff is all real. How do we contend right. with this? And maybe there is, like I said, the most mundane but exciting is that there is Samuel's treasure. Right. Well, circling back
1: to Samuel let's talk about who he was. He was a czar or emperor during the first Bulgarian Empire or Sardom. At this time, this was a huge territory that ran from the west coast of the Black Sea all the way almost to the Adriatic, encompassing modern-day Bulgaria, Romania, Bosnia, and Herzegovina, and up to the north to cover what is today Hungary, Moldova, yeah. part of Slovakia, and part of what is now southern Ukraine. So, I mean, it was this was a big chunk of land. Yeah. It was founded in the year 680 or 681 AD, and during the Middle Ages, it was a cultural center for southern Slavic Europe, and mm-hmm. it existed until 1185 when the Second Bulgarian Empire was established. And here's what's interesting too. It was pre-Christian until the year 864. Mm -hmm. In the year 997, Samuel of Bulgaria became the Tsar. He reigned from 997 until his death in 1014. Now, before Samuel's rise to power, Bulgaria was fragmented and vulnerable. It was facing conflict from external enemies and internal factions. Samuel, however was a man of action, to quote the Princess Bride, rising Mm. through the ranks of the Bulgarian army to become one of its most skilled and effective commanders. He was brilliant at strategy and tactics. He knew how to place troops on a battlefield for maximum advantage, and he used his talent at that to deploy unorthodox maneuvers that caught his enemies off guard frequently. He led several successful invasions of Byzantine territories. Now, this is their number one enemy at the time, the Byzantines. He waged war against Byzantium for over 20 years, at times overwhelming the empire's vastly superior military might. His most significant military victory came in 986, this was before he was czar, when he soundly defeated the Byzantine emperor Basil II at the Battle of Trajan's Gate. You can still see this place on Google Earth and on the internet. It's amazing. There's still uh, there's ruins there. It looks like a really cool place to visit. Basil II had, and it might be Basil. Apologies, not sure. I'm going to say
0: Basil that. because it's like a Basil faulty. I know Fawlty that's Towers. right.
1: Basil yeah. faulty. They're bringing that show back, by the way. Yes,
0: the I believe the uh, folks from the UK would say Basil, and yes. they would say Basil like the. Uh, Herb. So Basil
1: II was the Byzantine leader at the time. He had launched an attack in the center of Bulgaria to try and draw Samuel's attention away from the defense of what is uh, the southern Greece area yes. by besieging the city of Cerdice. Uh This was in 986, and he besieged the city for 20 days. Now, Samuel's father, or Samuel's father, was the Count of Serdica, Nikola. At the time, Samuel and his three brothers, ruled western Bulgaria from four separate cities where they each lived. Apparently this is called a tetrarchy, so scratch that one off your bingo card. So the Bulgarians held fast in Cyrodice and frequently would come out of the city during the siege and capture and kill their Byzantine attackers. They burned all the crops that they might've eaten from. And on top of that, to add insult to injury, they stole their cattle while they were, this is during the siege, they would come out and do all this stuff to them. Yeah. Eventually they even burned their siege equipment, which apparently they had uh, inexperienced leaders who had left too close to the city's walls. So they're like, yep, let's burn that down. <laughs> this is all according to two books, uh, Emperor Basil, the Bulgar Slayer, Extractions from Uhaya of Antioch's Chronicles by V.R. Rosen, and Slodarsky's History of the First Bulgarian State. Now, Basil II's troops had to retreat. During that retreat, they passed through the mountains at a place called the Trajan's Gate Pass in Sofia Province. For the record, this is only 50 miles, almost exactly southeast of Zarichina. just saying. And as Basil's troops came through that pass, Samuel, not yet czar, but still the commander of the Bulgarian army, surrounded the retreating Byzantines and most of them were slaughtered. Those that survived, including Basil himself, ran back to their homes in Constantinople. Notably, it was at this point, to add insult to injury, that Basil II's personal treasure was captured by Samuel. So that's at least one personal treasure taken from the leader of the Byzantine Empire at this place 50 miles
0: southeast of Zirichina. I just wanted to point that out. Well, yeah, we, we mentioned in, in part one, when yeah. you become the leader, like, there's spoils. That's <laughs> and, right. And you start to pile them up and collect them. And then you got to stick them somewhere exactly. where only a few people know where it is. And you trust them not to dig it up. It's a little, uh, we were talking about the, uh, oh, the, the pirates uh, co-op, uh, which yes. people think is, it was at Oak Island, which apparently it did take place. For real, in the Caribbean, and I, I can't remember the, the I can't remember the island, but it was a a, a bay where they uh, it was a gentle, it was utter among thieves, a, yeah. a pirates agreement to uh, we're we're going to use this kind of as a bank for the booty. No one to touch this, or there'll be severe penalties. Got to have that uh, booty bank. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, look, I wouldn't trust a bunch of other pirates. No, uh, no. or people yeah. that uh, usurp you, especially during these times. You didn't live very long right? and uh, you wanted to be able to enjoy it, or at least your family line. You kind of probably kind of figured you were going to die, but you wanted it for the kids, right? Yeah, just just squirreled away. And of course, you got to leave instructions or no one's ever going to find it again. But my point earlier is that these realms of under the earth and and, uh, all around us are very mysterious. And uh, again, that's where treasure is found. That's what captivates us, I think, and, and has since then. And certainly... Kemenov here in his dreams like that's a pretty good lead I would maybe go check that out I mean I'm yeah, not going to afford to be doing the digging but uh, it's a good story it's a good story so keeping that in mind
1: that uh, Samuel was able to take Basil II's treasure and also that battle at the gate was a turning point in Bulgarian history and it helped solidify at least at the time Samuel's hold on power but in the years following the battle Basil II recaptured much of the land he had lost Samuel over the years. Samuel died of a heart attack in October of 1014. Right. And uh, in 1018, just four years later, Bulgaria actually gave in to the
0: Byzantines. But
1: yeah. he had done a great job as both a military leader and czar and is considered a hero in Bulgaria to this day.
0: Right. And I was going to say, he is a, a military hero Yeah, and as a good sign or proof or evidence that he knew what he was doing. And it's not easy As soon as he died and the subsequent leaders came in, the whole place fell apart.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's
0: right. (laughs) They just lost it. None of the people
1: that came after him could accomplish even a percentage of what he had accomplished, both militarily and in terms of diplomacy and government management. He apparently was great at all of that stuff.
0: It's very rare that you get a hero that comes through and, and, again, is good on all these Aspects. So it's very likely that this legend, if it's just that, and let's not say it's a portal, we're just going to say it's a yeah. buried treasure, a yeah. kingly ransom here. That's worth looking for. And it's just historical. And also, you figure if you're the Bulgarians and you're in the military, it's like, look, we need something that is going to bolster national pride because yeah. they occupy a tremendous part of history in the world in that region at that time. Right. And again, this is
1: right at the collapse of communism as well. Right, so right. there's identity crisis for a lot of these countries
0: and the people working in the governments. I was going to say, it's a little bit like, uh, it made me think, again, this this episode's really sparking a lot of uh, connections to other shows, but the beast of Javelin in yes. France at the time, after the uh, Seven Years' War, them needing a little boost to their, uh, to their morale. And it's like, yeah. look at what we got. Yeah. and so here the story sounds good to everybody
1: well even though samuel wound up losing in the end he had won many times before that and here's the question then did he take the treasure did he take that treasure or did he have other treasure of course he did In all those years of winning all those battles he had spoils as forrest just said We didn't go deep enough into the history books to know what happened to the treasure he took from Basil II or what other ones might be missing. And it it may not be documented. After all, uh, Basil wound up winning in the end and Samuel died. He may have recovered whatever treasure was taken from him. Who knows? But what if? What if it's still out there? And what if Serechna is Serechna because the Tsar buried a treasure there? Of course, that seems like a dumb idea to name it, uh, you know treasure reaching out my treasure reaching out so <laughs> well uh, you look know, how, many, how, to, how many
0: places yeah i mean look in queens new york yeah. the borough or king's canyon you know like i said that's a common name i don't think it yeah, gives anything away. Cool. plus this village is uh, you know is described by the journalist 80 to 100 people max one pub yeah.
1: Called the hole, by the way.
0: Yeah, a thrice, <laughs> a thrice daily bus. And in the winter, yeah. it didn't often yeah. come because the roads are impassable. So you're kind of yeah. stuck there. I want to go, by the way. I'd like to go have We'd, a beer at the hole. Well, it, it, yeah, <laughs> when the weather's nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good place for the retirement cabin. Yeah. But there's not a lot going on there. So that also leads to another theory. The government is using this cover story to plant something, not discover something, put something away that they... Right. Don't want people poking around at, and so they uh, concoct this crazy story to scare people from poking around. Could there.
1: be, could be, you know, again, if that if there is a treasure there, whether it was Basil II's or just general ill-gotten gains, it would be worth a great fortune in modern times, not only financially, but historically, archaeologically, and in terms of history for the country of Bulgaria. So you have to know, as brilliant a tactician as Samuel was, you can bet that if he saw defeat coming, which he would have seen it coming, he would work, as all failing leaders throughout history have done, to squirrel something away for his future generations. Or, uh, or maybe the chance that he might live to fight again if he needed to bankroll it. Look at the KGC. So uh, maybe that's what <laughs> yeah. the military was up to. We, we don't know. That's the first idea we wanted to start with tonight. Is it just Samuel's treasure, like Kikaminov dreamed about? All right. So invariably, when this story comes up, people talk about Baba Vanga. First of all, it's the most fun name to say in the world, Baba Vanga. It's like- It's it's just grandmother. (laughs) Grandmother,
0: yes. Grandmother Vanga. Baba Yaga. So anything after Baba is usually a fun to say name.
1: Yeah, exactly. But
0: Baba Yaya is a terrifying- iteration of that, but also, but like I said, grandmother, so it's a, it's a sign of respect. Right. But also, uh, perhaps a warning. This Baba Vaga, she's very nice though. she yes, is a, she's a very, very sweet nice. person and a national hero.
1: Yes. And again, if you look her up and you're of a certain age, probably within a decade or so of us, you'll probably recognize her because she was a big deal when she was still alive. Yeah. But she was not part of the original team that was involved in Zurichina. She was brought in later by Ellie Laganova, who was the lead psychic for the job. And remember, you might not remember, but in part one we talked about how Ellie Laganova was involved... Because she was married to a colleague of the defense minister at the time. So that's how she got into the project and how it all got off the ground initially. Right. The
0: chief of staff was convinced by her. And again, right. we will get to this. I know people are still rolling. Their their, their eyes are sore from rolling from part one. But <laughs> what we're saying here is that whether this is a ruse or not, and if it was, then everybody had to be in on it. And if that's the case, though, it was the, the chief of... I mean, we're talking like the Joint Chiefs of Staff, perhaps. Yeah. You're talking about the Chief of Staff. And this, uh, Ellie Langinova, was the wife who claimed contact with some ultra-terrestrial... Right, that have access to all knowledge access to all knowledge. And I'm not saying there's any connection here to the Germans in World War II and the high staff command and all you, you folks that are into that already know about all that, but it was uh, the wife of uh, Goebbels, I think, who was really into, that's where it got mystical. And they, she was, uh, had a a lot to do with convincing and instilling that into uh, the Hitler uh, high command there which got really strange. This is a different thing. This is just a few months after Bulgaria decided to part ways with Russia. Of course, after the disbanding of the Soviet Union and the funding stopped, that's a big convincer. It's like, well, if you're not going to pay us, we're going to go on our way. But it dropped them into a huge economic depression, the worst ever in Bulgaria, because now their economy is faltering, which is also part of the scenario here because people get real tribal. It's like, well, let's just rip off the rest of the coffers. Well, before it's all gone, right. because uh, the pay for the average soldier, it's almost like they're working for free. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but they're not getting paid. They're all tightening their belts across the board for the whole government. Perhaps this is some trying to grab what's left, or this could be a huge solution. Like, look, if we can find a treasure, a cash of gold that's maybe a hundred million dollars or hundred million yeah. loves, like that'll help out. Because right. it's also a national find. It's not just some dude and now he's going to hoard it. Right. So it's either, like I said, you, you see several different scenarios playing out here. But getting back to Longinova, one thing that was, I wasn't really clear until I reread the the story, she was in contact with these ultra-terrestrial consciousnesses. That's a lot of his sisses. Yeah, Uh, several beings, but she was drawing all this out, and I didn't—I didn't fully get the scope of it and uh, pay much attention to the drawings until I started examining them closer. And it is that is some Voynich manuscript kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a complex language, and I do want to give some credit to a a Reddit poster named Slavic Indo S L A V I C I N D O. Mm -hmm. He and I've been in touch. He gave me permission to reference some of the stuff he posted. He speaks Bulgarian. I'm, I'm not sure where he lives, but I think it's probably in the region. He did mention that she had over a thousand pages of notes and these characters that were in there there was nine hundred different characters that repeated in the notes. Yeah. And it wasn't a language that any at the time anyone recognized on Earth. They couldn't figure out what it was. Okay.
0: Yes. And but yeah. here's here's the deal on that. It's all these very complicated pictographic like characters.
1: They look like hieroglyphs. Like yes. in a way. Yeah, that's the thing they most closely resemble. I right, think.
0: so what you can do is you can't crack it. At least the Bulgarian scientists at the time, the linguists, figured out that by the repetition and pattern of the characters, that it was some kind of language. It was just for it, and it wasn't like any existing language. But again, by the pattern of how we write uh, as we as humans... We know the different patterns. That's why the Voynich manuscript was very hard to crack, unless you were missing something, like punctuation. Right. It didn't have any punctuation. It, sometimes it's very hard to crack. Same thing with the Summerton Man and the code that was in the back. Right. It was very hard to run models. It takes a huge amount of computing process. But in this case, you can track over 900 different characters and see that re- they repeat. It's inconsistent with a pattern of language as we know it. We just don't know what language it is. But you want to tell them what Ellie Laginova said, uh, that she believed she knew where all the lost manuals were, all the lost notes. Yeah. She
1: thought that they went to another significant country and they were being decoded. That's what she
0: Which thought. Which is, that's even crazier because of, uh, it's the secrets of the universe written down on a, in a spiral college uh, ruled notebook, perhaps.
1: Right. But it, to be fair, Dmitry Statkov, the yeah. journalist who wrote one of the articles that we drew a lot of information from, he said... In a YouTube video, we saw that again. This was one that Slavic Indo put up. I saw Dimitri at the end of it, and he said, "Hey, you know what? She took a ceramics class, and in the ceramics, they taught right. him how to do different symbols. And she was unconsciously reproducing this, yeah. or or consciously if right. she was trying to. But these symbols came from the ceramics class. That's what he seemed to think. He wasn't super debunky in his delivery. He just says, no. this is what I think. I think yeah. this could have happened.
0: Yeah, I think this same could have thing with the video. Yeah. Is that yeah. well? What's okay if you're going to? I'm not. I'm not going to say the O." R word yeah. that I'm getting tired of mentioning all the time, but the uh, if you're going to take the more believable path, let's say because it's not yeah. about simplicity here; it's about believability in a very you know mundane, rational sense. Like, well, okay, it's not all this other stuff. It is something that, like I said, she may not have been aware of it. She was, but pulling that knowledge of right. design. Right. And letters and lettering and this and that and even if it's fake, and, and being a bit of you know, she was an artist too. She would draw these things. She would have them painted. She would paint yeah, the concept pictures. What few of them are around are kind of amazing. Aside from the notes, there is a also a video documentary that was made that's also lost. But yeah. also, we do have images. But yes. as you mentioned just a, a while ago, the diagrams in Contact, the movie. is that you can have some pages of it, but it doesn't make sense if you don't know how to lay them all out, right? Right, how to put it together. Exactly, it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, But we're talking about, like, (laughs) I was, again, taking a closer look at this now. You'll see an image like a human figure or... You know, humanoid in some kind of chamber, yes. uh, beams of electricity or current or whatever going into it. They're little, uh, little test tubes and diagrams of uh, a nascent proto-human, perhaps, developing into something more. And what it reminded me of, just the nature of that, is if, uh, it, it, again, our good friend Rob Christofferson may vouch for this, is that it looked to me a lot like the drawings of a contactee,
1: Yeah, And what they
0: report afterwards. Sure. And of course, that's what she was kind of claiming, is that there were these ultra-terrestrial types of beings, and I don't know if she was, but she was contacting them or in communication with them telepathically. She'd not been, right. I saw no claim that she had been picked up or abducted or anything like that. No, nothing like that. Or
1: if so, those details
0: don't seem to be out there. And again, this is very vague. It was a while ago, but there is documentation on it. But getting back to Baba Vanga, there is a series on her. Yes, but I watched fic- some of it. Okay, but it's fictional.
1: It's fictional. Yeah. It does look good. It's highly rated. There's twelve episodes. Right. I I saw it on I think on an Amazon Prime or Yes, it's Amazon on Amazon video. Prime. Right. And um, I did start to watch it. Of course, it you wouldn't have to have it subtitled or dubbed if you're looking to see it in English. But um It looked pretty entertaining. Yeah. We don't plan our shows out a lot of time in advance sometimes. Like if I'd had time, I would have watched that whole series before we
0: started. Okay. So it's worth, you're giving it the thumbs up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The other thing for us though, is that fictional takes, sometimes you don't want to mix them into the research, uh, you know, if it's blatantly fictional, because then you can get confused about things that really happened versus something that was fictionalized in a book or a movie. But it looks good and it's well-reviewed and it's well-produced, I would say. Okay. Okay. Getting back to this, how did Baba Vanga get involved in Zurichna? Well, Elisaveta Laganova, the head psychic, brought her in as a consultant. And so let's talk a little bit more about the background of Baba Vanga. She is the Nostradamus of the Balkans. That's her nickname. Mm-hmm. She was born Vangalaya Pandeva Gustarova. And uh, I may have mangled Vangelia. Vangelia, I think it's probably a hard G. So Vanga, I'm going to say yeah.
0: Vong- Vangelia. I don't or know. Vangelia
1: Pandeva <laughs>
0: Gustarova. Yeah. Uh, yes.
1: Born in January of 1911. Yeah. And by the 1990s, when Surychino was being excavated, she was a world famous blind Bulgarian mystic Mm -hmm. or prophet, insert uh, your term there. The records are vague, but it seems she was born in what is today North Macedonia, which is just west of modern Bulgaria's western border. Now, according to the legends surrounding her, she was only 12 years old when a tornado hit her village, snatching her up off the ground and dropping her a fair distance away in a field, far enough away that they couldn't find her. It took the villagers days of looking for her. They had feared the worst, probably thought that she had been killed in the tornado, When they did find her, she was alive but injured, and her eyes were severely damaged and, I guess, caked with sand and debris. Mm -hmm. She would be blind the rest of her life from that point forward. Whatever truly happened to her, these events led to her becoming clairvoyant. She developed an ability to predict the future, and she began making predictions regularly. She claimed to have visions where the information would come to her in her mind's eye let's talk about some of these because we did want to talk about her track record a little bit as early as 1969 she had a vision of indira gandhi uh, saying that the dress will destroy her i see an orange yellow dress in the smoke and fire so indira gandhi was the third prime minister of india and she was assassinated by two of her own bodyguards in october of 1984 i remember when this happened i was a freshman in high school actually At the time, she was wearing a yellow sari. That's a type of Indian robe, just as Baba Vanga had predicted 14 years earlier. So that's a clear prediction. Mm -hmm. If it really happened, there's a lot of folklore, a lot of legendary stuff associated with her. And anytime there's something like that, it gets murky as to like, well, what did she really say? Are, are people misconstruing it? You get into the seashell game.
0: Well, the the dress was really a bird orange it. Yeah. So that wasn't, the, that was right, completely right. right. There's a little bit of parsing and you, like I said, the, the major components have to be right. But, but generally if you're, uh, I'll entertain it if it's in the ballpark.
1: Yeah, why not? That's right. So her accuracy rate, and we mentioned this before, is actually considered to be around 80% with her most infamous prophecies being the Chernobyl disaster, the end of communism in Bulgaria, the 9-11 attacks, uh, which Nostradamus supposedly also predicted. And
0: also the, uh, the the Lone Gunman episode. People forgot that. Check that out. Oh, oh yeah, that's excellent. That is, uh, I mean, I saw it at the time, and you don't really put yeah. it together, but now in hindsight, if you, and that's all over the internet, that that yeah. uh, clip, uh, or that scene is making the rounds of the, the spinoff from the X-Files, The Lone Gunman. But if you watch that, it's like, Oh, uh, this is pretty yeah. uh, spot. on.
1: saw it coming. It happens. And, uh, yeah,
0: there was a book too. Uh, I right. can't remember what the book was. It That's p- right. predicted the exact scenario, a novel again, I just want to make this comment. I think we did, I did in part one, but as far as oh, yeah. the accuracy rate, I was just thinking yeah. about this the other day as a thought that popped in my head like eight, eight out of ten things is pretty good. yeah again, depending on the on the details. people of course, uh, and I understand this, you'd want a hundred percent accuracy before you maybe even believed in the phenomena right? That uh, this could be possible. Anybody could do do this at all. No better than guessing. And my thought though is like, yeah, we'd all love uh, somebody who was 100% accurate, but what if there was? Do you know what kind of trouble and turmoil that would cause if you had one person who was a hundred percent accurate on everything, how people would flock to this person? Well, look what happened to Biff in the second or the third, back to the future. I can't remember which <laughs> well, one it was. But. <laughs> you can't have that. That's my point is that the, yeah. uh, the universe will not allow that because yeah. then it's like, you just turn to this person, well, what's going to happen next? Yeah. People get very desperate and then uh, somebody, they're, you know, they're in danger because yeah. somebody's going to want to control that it's too much yes and uh, it'd be too freaky you'd be looking to this person as uh as godlike
1: forrest and scott thank you for supporting their sponsors i'm andrea now back to the show Well, so here's what she said about 9-11, supposedly. The quote is, the American brethren will fall after being attacked by the steel birds. The wolves will be howling in a bush and innocent blood will be gushing, end quote. There are folks that have interpreted uh, the reference to Bush there as being George Bush. Uh-huh. The wolves would be the what he sent uh, when he launched the military after 9-11 to uh, go and find Osama bin Laden. So there are some references there, but... That's her uh, theoretically her prediction about nine eleven twin brothers twin towers
0: that's right uh, steel that's birds right. planes the rest of yeah. it. it 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 is funny how a lot of this is uh, there is some poetry of sorts well same thing with Nostradamus the quatrains. Yeah. Yeah, And to get the, uh, the wording is important here. And there was another psychic, she was back in the 19th century. And I just off the to top of my head, and she had a, uh, again, you you never do well with the predicting of the end of the world. And it, she was right about a lot of stuff. But I remember one, uh, and I think this was in the Time Life books too, but like she right, had a famous right. line, like the world will surely meet its fate in 1888. And it's like, right, well, the, right, it didn't right. end in 1888, but it's a nice round number. But we have yeah. something close here, don't we?
1: Yeah, um, she also uh, predicted that the 44th president of the United States would be a black man, which of course was Obama. And then we can't forget that she predicted the loss of the Russian submarine, the Kursk, in 2000 as well. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're old enough to remember this, it was world news when it happened. It sank in the Barents Sea, killing the entire crew of 118. And supposedly in 1980, Baba Vanga predicted that in August of 1999, quote, Kursk would be covered with water and the whole world will weep over it, And She quote. was off by a year. She was off by a year. And also people were like, what do you mean Kursk? It's like people thought she meant the city of Kursk in Russia, which yep. the sub was named for Right. right which a bit of, would have, that would have been real weird cuz it's 330 miles from the nearest large body yeah, of water yeah. the sea of azov but in hindsight they think she was correctly seeing the sinking of the kursk which happened exactly as you just right. said 12 months after her predicted date in august of 2000 rather than august 1990. well throw out
0: that prediction then
1: so it well, was maybe right that's the whole that's <laughs> exactly to your point yes, but yes yeah yeah But uh, she also said that Obama would be the last president of the United States. Uh, She was criticized Mm. for some of her other predictions that did not come to fruition, too. She thought World War III was going to begin in 2010, Mm -hmm. apparently. She said there would be major droughts around the world and water shortages in 2022. Mm. Well... That happened. The UK, Portugal, Italy, and some of France all had significant droughts. So did California. Southern California, absolutely. She additionally warned of major floods in Australia and Asia, and eight months of rain fell in four days in Sydney Mm. in July of 2022, causing a fourth flood for the year, which I think we all remember on the news. And before we move on, though, what about 2023? I mean, that's where we are now. I mean, we've got to look at that and see what she said about 2023, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if we mentioned something in this late April 2023 episode that Baba Vanga said would happen, and then it happens later this year? Let's see. She apparently thought there was going to be a devastating solar storm or coronal mass ejection sometime this year. The last one we had was a minor one in February 2022, a big one like the famed Carrington event where we've mentioned a ton of times mm-hmm. on the show from 1859. If that happened now... That could cause blackouts around the world right. that might last
0: years. Yeah. Like that much damage to infrastructure. It's the great reset. Talk about a reset. Yeah, uh, that is it Might a- kill your cars too.
1: Anything with a computer right. chip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, if people don't remember, uh, one interesting factoid about the Carrington event is, uh, well, and one good thing is that they had telegraphed that, and people saw electrical... Wow. Sparks dancing along the lines. It was so strong. Yeah, they were catching
1: on fire. They were catching poles
0: on fire because it was so... And again, it's invisible. It's not a break in the wire. It's not a short. It's just from the atmosphere raining down, causing that. The good thing was that there wasn't much electrical back then. So, right. you know, you're already living by lamplight.
1: <laughs> right, well, right, the, right. the other
0: thing about uh, Zarichina is, just to show how remote it is, that they they have electricity there, but no water pumping. The yeah. only water they have is yeah. uh, through wells. And so it is a... Uh, but there might be something natural about the the water. We were talking just a, a, an hour ago about... Why it's called Zorichina. and the, the the legend is that the, as we said, I think we said in part one, the czar Samuel, and his son used to go there for treatment. Now, I don't know what that means, oh, but right. it, it could be something regionally, like you know the healing waters, or this right. and that, or some uh, folk remedy that was uh, prevalent at the time. But that's also why they think the the area is special and would have been historically known to him. Right at the time, but in this case, yeah. So we were talking about a uh coronal mass ejection here happening, and uh, then it's like a Blade Runner 2049 where it's yeah. uh thick, milky, like uh, the volume yeah. at the uh, the front desk there at the uh, yeah, record. yeah right. <laughs> Is that is that you're gonna have something will survive, but if uh it's horrible to think about, but maybe a little easier if we're all going through it at the same time,
1: yeah. Well, and that's the question. And it occurs to me, too, depending on how long it lasts, it's like how much of the Earth is it going to hit? What side of the sun is it on? It's possible it might be pointed in a different direction. It's possible if it's not very long maybe it only hit part of the earth, depending on how much rotates through it. Or mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when these happen, they can happen for a couple of days. The bottom line is we'll know if it happens. Oh, yeah. So we'll know if, if Vanga was right. Uh, back up your hard drives now. About eight
0: and a half minutes. Once they determine that happened in the the for at the, on the sun. Oh, right. Yeah. I have a backup hard drive that I keep in a, uh, it's an old fashioned uh, lead lined Film container. You used to put your film in there. Uh, But I keep my... uh, They do sell them. And they also have Faraday bags, which would maybe help a little bit, depending on how strong it is. But I figure it's better than nothing. But then you got a computer that you can... uh, It's going to be like your Tandy computer for $5,500 that does four programs and no internet. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be down. But you... uh, I guess it would be better than nothing. But uh, that's one thing, uh, a callback to our last topic is that Michael Faraday, you could have a Faraday cage in your home. Yeah, to protect you. And your cars. Remember, your car's got a CPU in it. That can get fried too. I forget the exact year, but it was when cars uh, had solenoids. Yeah. Okay, if you watched uh, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, that's why he wanted the minivan, because it was the year after that, uh, they start putting chips in and you... It was a, yeah. a year car where you could replace the solenoid; it would it would work.
1: Yeah, you need the older the older cars are better off.
0: Yeah, you're right. So that's why some people have these uh, Earth roamers they call them, and it's just a it's an old GMC truck that right. is a uh, diesel and pre pre chip.
1: There is uh, one other prediction for 2023 from her. She allegedly said the Earth's orbit would shift some this year. This too could be potentially Mm -hmm. apocalyptic. It can lead to extreme global temperature increases or decreases, as well as greater exposure to radiation. There are, however, things besides gravitational influence that can cause orbital shifts, though, like an asteroid impact, which, well, we know how that turned out for the dinosaurs. So uh, smoke them if you got them, people. You will be smoked. <laughs> I, for one, am hoping she was mistaken about these, like she was about World War III happening in
0: 2010. Well, maybe the seeds have been planted for World War III.
1: Well, that's what I was saying. That, that seems way more likely now than 2010. Slava, Ukraine. Uh, But uh, we, we digress. In, in Bulgaria, psychics were viewed with some skepticism in the early 1970s, but Baba Vanga's accuracy rate as a prophet and her growing fame earned her the respect of some high-ranking officials. Her clients included politicians, celebrities, and businessmen from Bulgaria and around the world. Her fame skyrocketed in 1994 when she predicted on Bulgarian national television that the country would have a woman leader in the future. And guess what? That happened in 2009 when the country's first female prime minister, uh, Reneta Enzova, was elected. Uh, she only served 100 days, however, and as of today, there hasn't been another woman prime minister since. So how did Baba Vanga cross paths with the Seregina Dig? As we said, Ellie Laganova hired her to consult on it. Now, during communication with Laganova and her team, Vanga described the hole as a significant archaeological site created by extraterrestrial beings. Now, we've been in touch with, uh, as I said earlier, uh, Reddit user Slavic Indo, and he created an amazingly informative mm-hmm. post about uh, Zurichna around two years ago on Reddit. He also posted a fascinating video on YouTube about it a little over a year ago. We'll have links to that stuff in the show notes. We asked for his permission to share some of that information he had posted because I hadn't seen it in uh, other places. And I, as I said earlier, I think he either lives in Bulgaria or is somewhere in that mm-hmm. region. He, he said to me in his note to me that he speaks Bulgarian, like our friend Nikolai. And it's hard to get good information from there uh, here in the state. So there were a couple of interesting facts there. In the YouTube video, as he, he placed some audio – from a meeting Baba Vanga had with the team from Sarichina, he also translates what she is saying with titles in that. And uh, I just want to repeat back some of this stuff because it's really fascinating. At one point you can hear her, she's, she says, uh, the question is, have you found a human head? And then you hear someone reply, no, not yet. Have you found the obelisk? And the reply to that is, yes, we're finding obelisks. And then she says, are you finding symbols? And then there's a reply to that and it sounds like Ellie Laganova because I've heard her before on tape. She replies, yes, geometric symbols, triangles, circles, and crosses. Baba Vanga says at this point, this is a big secret. Who will unravel the secret? So that's pretty fascinating that they actually have her on tape there. I guess she predicted that inside the hole was a phenomenon that mankind cannot explain. And the message is from another world. And and we shared this quote in part one, but I want to repeat it here. You will reach a capsule, the content canned. You do not know if the capsule is pressurized. What are you going to do with that monkey, neither man nor woman? If the airtight lid is opened, that creature can be revived from the air. What are you going to do, I ask, when it wakes up and speaks? So there's the whole implication here that it's not about a treasure, and this is about something greater than that, and... One of the things to understand is that it, it started out with the search from the treasure, according to the records that we think. And then after Baba Vanga became involved, it switched to this goal to find whatever this thing is. Right. Because now that's lining up with Laginova and the other three psychics with like the, all of them saying, hey, the aliens are
0: telling us what to do. There's some superior being down here, you know, yeah. the, the fifth element. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, Scott, several consciousness... <laughs> Several You're intelligences. Up each time. no, I yeah. uh, I did that on purpose. <laughs> Several intelligences uh, that yeah. are otherworldly, not necessarily little green men, reptilians, uh, yeah, <laughs> praying mantis uh, overlords. We're talking just disembodied intelligence or beings similar, as you said earlier, telepathic to- telepathic uh, voices. Yeah, that are that have names and they have personalities. It seems, and it is a little like vertical plane. And many other things that we've studied. So these are being... Yeah, they're um, arguing
1: with each other. Some of them are like, fine, I'm out of here. And then a new one comes in.
0: Right. The dig takes over. The instructions take over. The instructions are hard to follow. uh, They're not sure they're getting them right. They're not sure if they're on the right path. However, like we just said a little while ago, out of all the dirt in Bulgaria, if this is a story to be believed, these voices told you where to dig and you actually find something. And here they're finding symbols. They're finding, uh, we said part one, Colonel Zvetko Kanev was saying that they found strata of different, uh, well, surfaces. It's again, and we're getting a hard translation here, but like cherry reds, browns, yellows, different colors. Different colors. Yeah. And this is his report that some geologists were saying, well, well that's just a different strata. You know, it's like different chemicals, different layers, normal geology. This and that. Yeah. However, uh, he also claims that the dirt was very hard in the mine, in the hole, as they were working on it, once they brought it out to the air, it softened up like it got real doughy, which is weird. And then he had uh, samples delivered to the chief of staff of the engineer troops, uh, Colonel Boris uh, Dimitrov, and they could not determine what the material was, what the dirt was made out of. And neither did the geologists and archaeologists submit it to afterwards, according to him, is that it was unknown material again, if you forgot from part one, people said, well, why are they digging with uh, hand tools? Because the machinery, the excavators, uh, just as a reminder, were not working very properly, brand new, broke down. down. Here's the other word, the detail that I forgot is that they said the operator, the guy working, was like, you know, very lively, robust guy, very, you know, socially, uh, you know, uh, very social guy. Outgoing. Yeah. He looked like he was being electrocuted. He had these grimacing. He he couldn't when he was working yeah. the machine. Exactly. And as soon as he yes, stepped I out of the cab, he was fine. He was normal, if you yeah. believe this. And so I then I was wondering, it's like uh, the word from uh, <laughs> the word from the the otherworldly uh, beings, or the message was that well, other things are preventing you from damaging something with the excavator.
1: Right. They're they're concerned for what's being excavated, and that's the other thing that was described is that they were reaching impenetrable barriers. Mm-hmm. And then they would get these very specific, precise, engineering-oriented instructions from these intelligences that came down through Ellie Loganova about where to place the charges exactly so that you could get past these barriers. And the underlying idea here is that you're getting instructions from the things that built this stuff. They're telling you how to undo it because they built it
0: and they know. And so if you want to unlock this door, here's the key. What if they were in, like I said, this material's unknown. It it has different properties. It's physicality almost. And what if it was like Han Solo and the crew landing the Millennium Falcon and they get out? It's like, this earth is really weird. Like this tunnel's really oh, weird. Yeah, they're inside and he the, fires the off worm. the blaster. It's like, <laughs> it's rumbling. Like, get out of here. And it turns out to be a giant... They're inside of a giant, the mouth of a giant beast. And they also had the Minox chewing on the power cap. And that's right. And so the idea, (laughs) so the idea though, is that this is something, if they can't tell like what type of rock this is, maybe it's biological or it's a different type of substance that they're, they're trying to mine.
1: Right. And we get into that, again, that whole idea of a portal or a connection or some kind of chamber that's designed to protect something that is far beyond our understanding uh, yeah. and,
0: and our technological ability. Well, getting back to Grandmother Vanga, tell us how and when she finally left this realm. Well, she passed away in
1: 1996 at the age of 85 due to breast cancer. Mm-hmm. There are those that say she predicted the date of her death, while there's others that say that date was wrong or that's apocryphal, which right. is the case about a lot of her predictions. Uh, some are pretty nailed down, but again, you know, it could be creepypasta, copy-paste situation. <laughs> it's hard
0: to say. Very much like Nostradamus, is that it's, yeah. uh, you know, the Twisted Cross and the river, the Hister, you know, H <H-I-S-2> I right. S. T-E-R, oh, not Hitler. Right. Like, well, you that. didn't get it totally right. It's you know. He also said something about Tom Cruise, didn't he? He said I, Tom Cruise <laughs> was going to be the president
1: of the United States. People were hey. like, oh, this is Tom Cruise is going to be the president. Well,
0: he wouldn't be the first actor to be president. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but no, like I said, it's really open to interpretation and 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 that's the frustration. It's also the fun of it. There's also weird things about it. It's like with Nostradamus is that basically he... Uh, he'd make these little quatrains to sell, right? He's got like 12 kids or something. He's got put food, a lot of food on the table. And he did really well by selling these things, which are essentially like those, you know, those little fun horoscope books you get at the uh, checkout stand at the grocery store. People have have equated them, his books, the quatrains with that. And so it's like, oh, this is kind of fun, you know, pick one of those up uh, when you're at the market. But they use that to say, like, well, he wasn't all that serious. He was just making crap up. And then uh, you hit on some stuff. Right. There's a lot of people who say, like, no, 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 no. If you really study it, he's much closer, but it takes some interpretation. So that's what we have here at the end of her life and career that, uh, again, I think it's me personally, it's like it was enough that's, that was on that is a, a logical conclusion of a prediction of hers to make it significant. I wouldn't buy into it all of it, totally. but And you know. she was pretty respected in
1: Bulgaria. Uh, Slavik Endo yeah. said that himself in his YouTube video. He said right. a lot of people believed in her. We heard that from uh, Nikolai as well at the time. She inspired a belief in the paranormal, and they were open to these ideas. And apparently, she once said, nothing is accidental in life. Everything happens for a reason. The world does not change. It evolves. And um, perhaps yeah. it's through her that we have been able to glimpse... Some of what that evolution
0: holds. Well, I'll uh, I'll buy that. I'll go along with that. I believe that too. Nothing is accidental. Uh, there's a reason for everything. You just may not know it at the time. Uh, how often no does faith something what we ha- make? Well, yeah. And then how often does something happen uh, that you? Uh, yeah, it could be self fulfilling prophecy. And you look back, it's like, thank goodness that happened. Yeah that it it didn't wreck your life as you thought it did at the time, it's good that you didn't have a relationship with so-and-so or you didn't get this job. And there's been many jobs, you know, I worked freelance for a long time. You get turned down and you look back on it and you talk to your coworkers like, yeah, thank God you didn't get that one. That was a nightmare. It's like dodged a bullet. You dodged it. I've heard that many times. Yeah. You've dodged a bullet and it's like, well, you know, I was upset at the time. I lost a gig, but then another one came in, you know? So that's right. Again, you have to look back at all this and take an assessment. And
1: freelancing uh, is such a double edged thing yes. because you're like, oh, I need a gig. I need a gig. And then the gig comes in. And you're like, oh,
0: I don't want to do this gig. And then oh, I've it's done like, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
1: then it goes away or then, or you're doing nothing for months and then three things happen at once. Or if you plan a vacation. A trip, oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, immediately, you will book uh, the biggest job that's ever come across your lap.
0: Well, uh, what do we have for conclusions about either her predictions, her life, and how it connects to this story? Because it, it, again, she's a major element, but she's also a hired gun of sorts. Yeah, I think in.
1: it's interesting. I mean, could we look at the whole idea with her and Baba Vanga would be her own episode or it may be a good chunk our discussion, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I like, think so. The reality is, I think she got paid for a lot of these predictions. So she's making a living there. And sure. I'm sure that, that she came from a very poor village. So that probably helped support her. But all across the research, we saw it, everybody seemed to think she was about 80% accurate. So that's pretty good. She, as you said, was a hired gun. The, the notable thing about her presence is that she changed gears on the target for the group. They yes. said, hey... We're looking at something much bigger than Sam Wheel's treasure here. We're looking at the possibility of the first proto-human. For those of you that saw Prometheus, imagine finding that dude Mm. down there Mm. or something similar. This idea of this being neither man nor woman
0: that precedes all of humanity. And it's like the featureless clay for, well, like a monkey, she called it, a yellow, a yellow tinted monkey uh, or that shape. And I had this thought earlier uh, today of it being like the clay for a golem. Yes. It's kind of formless, but once you activate it, and again, she said, uh, you know, as we said in part one, once you open that thing up to the air, that's going to revive it. And what are you going to do then? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Is it going to be happy? Is it going to be mad? (laughs) It could be like turning a, a freaked out monkey loose in your home.
1: Right, right. And it just, just starts can...
0: destroying everything, freaking out. Like, what, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm yeah. supposed to be sleeping for another million years.
1: Or it leans up out of the capsule and pushes a little button on the wall that creates a black hole in the middle of the earth, and it vanishes.
0: Yeah. people <laughs> Again, this all ties into a greater uh, you know, head scratcher about the, the CERN ex- particle accelerator, uh people think uh, maybe the uh the future or our reality's altered already and then you get into uh, talk about the mandela effect and it's like uh, it's all yeah weirdly
1: connected i think her main contribution was in changing gears of it she was reinforcing what the other psychics were finding and seemed to have similar ideas about what they thought was there she's a part of bulgarian culture and it's a fascinating part of the story i think um mm-hmm. She had one more thing to say about it. We're going to save that for the end, though. I did also want to talk about uh, in 1993, there was apparently an, an ex- expedition of uh, several students who went to camp at the site and look for UFO activity. It sounds like some of our people. Somebody went out there yeah, and like, do okay, it. we've yeah. heard some stories now. Let's go see what's going on there. And while they were there, all kinds of crazy stuff had. They said they had 21 or so encounters with UFOs, mm-hmm. crazy lights in the sky, which had villagers also saw, and I guess one night they had had a fire and some like a beam came down and the fire went crazy and burned down a bunch of the tents and they bailed. They were like, okay, that's it. We're out of
0: here. So it was a, a, like a, a CE5 uh, Dyatlov, uh, right sort right. of event or themed, but uh, thankfully they weren't hurt. It was just a very freaky night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah
1: people are expecting things to be there. Like when you when you look for the location, and we talked about this, we had a listener actually submitted another Reddit post from somebody who did a bunch of legwork trying to figure out exactly where the pit was. I had sort of done this myself. Uh, this was only posted, what, look at this, uh, a couple days ago by user Matt Perkins 86. And he's got some of the standard pictures there, which are actually, all these pictures I know are uh, Dmitry Statkov's pictures from the journalists he brought to the site. And we'll talk a little more about that in in a minute. At least the clear ones that you see that are really cool. I, I don't know who took the really blurry one of the tent over the opening, but uh, this guy did some reverse forensic engineering with Google Maps and getting down on the 3D point of view and trying to determine where it was. And I think he's dead on. We've marked it on Google Earth, and and we were going to talk about it in our next junk drawer. I'm not sure exactly when we're doing that. probably be the next few days. But mm-hmm. I, I think he's dead on. He seems to think it's where there's a tower. There's about a two-story or three-story tower there with some power lines going to it. I think it was a little bit behind there, but it would only be like 20 yards away. He he's might be dead on himself. And it's hard to say without going there. But what I was going to say is when you go onto Google Earth and you zero in on the site and you look at the coordinates, which we did dig up, what you see is all kinds of shots. You know, Google and Google Maps and Google Earth will show you pictures of tourists that have been. And they, there's people that went there and they go and they drink at that bar, the hole right next to where it is. There's a rock that says the hole on it that marks the spot supposedly, but not exactly, but very close to it. And uh, folks are going there. It's a place to make a pilgrimage to. I think if I lived in Bulgaria, I would absolutely go, but uh, not in the winter.
0: This is Marianne Delarocco, and I create art when listening to Astonishing Legends. So by all means, let's get back to the show.
1: All right. So it's time to kind of wrap this up. I've really enjoyed this series. This is the kind of stuff I love to do for us on our Mm -hmm. show. It's like, you find something you never really heard of. And then it, the story just blossoms into this crazy thing, goes in all kinds of different directions. I do want to thank Nikolai for emailing this story into us, even though that was a long time ago. It took us a long time to come around to it for
0: (laughs) just a year. Yeah, just a year. A year just There's a year, stuff little, uh, sitting year. on a de- to-do to- to list. In a uh, in that list I have uh, of people who have submitted stuff and yeah. uh, screenshots and clippings I've taken off of uh, the internets, interwebs yeah. that are, uh, let's say, four, five, six, seven. How long have we been doing this? Seven years old? No, we're
1: eight plus now, my friend. Eight okay. plus. Okay, well, uh, yeah. probably and since And probably about, uh, because we were so lethargic in getting started, I would say when we first started talking about it nine and a half years ago, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, when you get that so, email like, hey, somebody listened, let's yeah. respond to their email. And then, <laughs> oh, there's 20 people. And then eventually it uh, you get overwhelmed. But but my yeah. point is that we've made notes on a lot of this. And thankfully, now they're in a searchable document where I just started a Google Doc where I put down some people's ideas. And of course, uh, we will have several people mention the same thing. But not many people had mentioned this. And you're right, sir. The uh, The topic is exactly... The kind that got us into this, and like I said, yeah. uh, Time Life books, and and me first learning about Kincaid's Cave, and and again, it's like not knowing what's going on there, but I want to know more about it, and yeah. and the holding out the um, the wonder and imagination that uh, this could be something mystical in a hidden place, somebody comes across, and uh, and the same thing, these things all get same thing with Kincaid's Cave, it gets boarded up by some authority. Yeah. It's a hole in the side of the Grand Canyon yeah. that they don't deny they've now just sealed the entrance off to because it's a risk. But yeah. here's the weird thing about that. It's like, no one's getting to that thing. It's on a fairly sheer wall of cliff, you could say, in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. So it's like, well, you could repel down to it, but but really just odd that they would go to the trouble of sealing this up. Now, in this case here... They did this in the first uh, dig, as Colonel Kanov says, is that, yeah, they sealed up the first one because, you know, this is on ground level. They don't want people stumbling in there, getting hurt. This one was different where it's like, we're going to get to some of our theories here right now, but it's either just a attractive nuisance, another uh, legal term I love, or it's uh, a real nuisance somebody's going to fall into, then you got to rescue them. and uh, Or it's something where it's like, well...
1: We're going to come back to this. Yeah, we yeah. We might come back to this. Well, here,
0: here's what I'm saying is that there's a it's sealed, yeah. but the reason for it is maybe not just because it's a potential hazard. Right. Well, that's the question. I mean,
1: obviously, we go back to and the other again, another one of the things that I loved about this one was I got to learn a lot about Bulgarian military history. <laughs> <That> <laughs> yeah, was fun. yeah, yeah. It was the stuff that I, I, I don't think we covered it too much in high school or college for me. So I was interested in that stuff. I love history. Coming back around to uh, uh, Samuil or Tsar Samuel, pretty amazing guy. And I can't remember the name, the last name of that family. I think it was uh, Komatupola or Tup, I shouldn't even say it, but it has comet in it. And because uh, there were the four brothers and they were yes. ruling Bulgaria at that time. That was their last name. But anyway, amazing dude, military tactician, really fascinating to read about. And did he bury something there? Maybe he did. What was the dream about? Maybe the dream was an alien influence on Kikaminov. We we don't know. Could be the the villager who had the dream. That's, if you believe any of this at all, it's all of that stuff could be working together. We talked about hmm. Skinwalker Ranch Connections and we just mentioned it just a few minutes ago about the excavators not working. They have, they're having problems with the gear.
0: So now they're digging with shovels. That's another thing that's happening. At, oh, the, the new season of that just started. Oh, I cannot wait to watch it. I can't wait. The previews wait. look pretty intriguing. It's just entertaining to me. It is
1: an entertaining show. I know a lot of people think it's staged. They think everything on it is staged.
0: Well, they think everything is staged. And yeah, they
1: think everything's staged. I just, I think things are enhanced for dramatic effect but I don't well, think well they're
0: edited together but you either yeah. find something or you don't that's yeah. what my point is about this story you either have found something or you haven't or right or maybe it's just a giant ruse but I think at least with that show I was going to say they are drilling into the side of the mountain don't
1: spoil it I can't wait oh to no, see no no, it. no I'm, I'm just like, saying that yeah. this is
0: from last season
1: oh last season yeah when they did that that's what yeah. I was
0: saying earlier about the material that was pulled out of this hole this tunnel and it's uh, unknown I, the least satisfying of all answers like we don't. no. no. In this case, they have not an excavator, but they have a drill going uh, into the side of the mountain. The operator said, well, it feels like this thing's hitting a domed structure or a hard surface in there, right? So then they pull out, of course, and they flood it with water. What's coming out are flakes that they then take to uh, University of Utah, a metallurgist. And he's like, well, we can tell what the components are of these flakes. And that... It's a lot of silicon-based stuff, and basically the same stuff as the heat shield on the uh, on the space shuttle. Right, right. Okay, you could say, like, that's not totally off-planet, right? Somebody could have got that, but what's it doing in the side of the mountain there?
1: Yeah, and the other thing is the side of that mountain looks like it had, talk about intentional cover-up, like a cave-in or yeah. something. There's a section there that looks like it was demolished or, or intentionally yeah. Which would have happened a
0: long time ago. So that, right. Yeah. So your point of of connecting this to the theme of a Skinwalker Ranch, there's a lot of similarities, especially what uh, what people have been discovering afterwards with all this high strangeness. Yep. But again, this Common is a lot ground. less accessible. O- on the other hand, this wasn't all that long ago. Scott, yeah, I certainly remember 1990. 1990. Yeah. And so that's the other thing I like about it is that you do have also uh, documentation, some of it which survives. And again, if you couldn't show the, the notebooks or pages from it, if you didn't have, uh, again, a lot of people will say like, why is it always some farmer out in the middle of nowhere claiming this And stuff?
1: the people are doing interviews and you can still see them. And there's some that have been taken down, but That's there's true. others that are up there, um, like Elisa Veda Laginova, the lead psychic on there. She's There's lots of interviews with her
0: and a couple yeah, all, of also, uh, Kenev, yeah, right? Cur- yes, Colonel Svecko, oh, uh, Kenev. Yeah. Kenev is interviewed for Bulgarian TV, and he explains a lot A lot of this. I mean, there's it's translated. It has to be translated. But He's uh, definitely, though. My thing about him,
1: I love him, but he's definitely drinking the Kool-Aid on this whole thing. I mean, he's just like, we're talking well. aliens. He's gone down. <laughs> he's like, I am in this rabbit hole. Let me just tell you, this was well, weird. And I'm not debunking him right now or trying to belittle right. him. What I'm saying is, you and I know that look. It's the look of somebody who yeah. saw something they can't figure out. It's not just, I'm trying to tell a crazy story. It's like, I saw something that changed how I view reality, and I don't know how to convey that to other people. So I'm just going to tell you everything that happened.
0: Exactly. Look, we will come across these personalities, let's say. And again, so you have these check boxes people want ticked. Well, okay, so it's not some hick farmer, right? Some redneck, too many beers, and he's getting attacked by goblin owls, right? It's not that. We've got high-ranking military officials, but if you individualize them in a sense, you can box them in. Major Philip Corso with Roswell, the technology he's claiming that was reverse engineered. Now you have the whole general staff, a lot of them of the Bulgarian military and government officials and scientists who are interested in this. as he said, they all took an interest in this. It's not just like well, I got some wacky colonel let's uh, you know let's sideline this guy or your commission your decommissioned, that's it or give up your command. you're done like their bosses were. Once the new uh, superiors came in, in the military, this was like, show me the, the receipt for this thing. again. What? Yeah. No, you, you can't be spending 11 million left. Right, okay? right, right. So we're not- 16 can, million. Look, uh, 16 I mean, million yeah, labs, About
1: 11 million US dollars, I think. 10 to yeah. a million
0: yeah. Yeah, dollars, uh, counting inflation and time. And it's like, we're in a huge recession here. We yeah. we cannot be spending money collapsing. on this. Our government is <laughs> collapsing. And that's the thing though, but it was enough, it was a gamble, I see. That's kind of what I'm leading to is like, it's, look, if I was presented with this, it's a bet. So if you look at Colonel Kanov in the video, terrific, outstanding mustache, by the way. <laughs> yes. I love that. World and class. he looks, he just looks really cool, but he's also a scientist, right? He's, he's with the scientific detachment for the government. So he's a bit of a scientist, but he's, as he says though, about the materials and what he described, he said, look, I'm not disparaging our top scientists in the country here, or our core of Engineers, I'm just saying that they saw some materials that they can't explain that they gave me unsatisfactory explanations for. They just don't know what it is. But they also weren't there in the hole. Yeah. Like I was. They didn't see what I saw. Let's just talk about some of these other
1: possibilities. Uh, the idea of a metaphorical treasure, that hasn't really been mentioned, other than maybe that's what this alien or proto-human is. Mm. Uh there's, mm. I didn't read anything about the Holy Grail or the Ark or the kind of stuff that you hear about Oak Island. It diverges there. There was no mention of stuff like that. But you come back to this, the, the monkey and the capsule and all this stuff that Baba Vaga said and the, and the stuff that uh, Laganova said as well. Mm-hmm. Is this the first being on the planet? And if so, why is it there? And what about uh, these stories of the yeah. these force fields and, and green lights and they're shooting and the bullets are stopping and falling to the ground and people being thrown against the wall? That may all be apocryphal. It may all be mm. like made up, but there's a lot to feast on here. And,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: again, coming back to a friend of ours who said, you know, it was the fall of communism. There was a lot of experimentation going on nuclear and otherwise,
0: maybe they were putting
1: something in the hole. Maybe they were putting (laughs) nuclear waste in
0: there. Right. Burying some kind of something toxic. Right. Okay. My only thought about that and you tell me what you think, Scott, but I thought like, uh, yeah, that's definitely a possibility is that you have people doing, uh, all governments do this. Listen, any successful, huge entity has got dirt under their fingernails, so to speak. Right. And so you get some toxic stuff you're goofing around with, you want a place to bury it, so you concoct this crazy story to cover yourselves, you know, cover story. Right. And then uh, you just, for two years, you do some digging, stash, whatever you're going to do, and call it a day, seal it up, you're done. Yeah. And my only point with the logic of that is that... Listen, this is an Eastern Bloc country. They're not really known for their transparency or, right, right, <laughs> or willingness right. to do that. Right. Why do you even need to make up a story? Why do you even need to draw attention to it? You're in a sleepy village of which there's 80 to 100 people. It's never really visited in the winter. People do go there a little bit in the summer. There's no activity. People don't come out of their homes until the weekend. Yeah. It's so sleepy. I mean, like people know about it, but very little. You just go there and you do this. You don't have to explain anything. Yeah. You, yeah. you put up your 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 camouflage barriers, as they said. It's like, uh, no pictures or you get shot. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> and then uh, you just do what you do. You don't have to cr- write a book about this. Right. Like, what's, the, what's right. the point? Right. Again, perhaps maybe it's more financial and it is a money laundering operation. And then you do need a story. However... I don't know if I'd go with that story. Right. You know what and what
1: I mean? it, let's go yeah. down on that angle a little bit because that's one of the angles we want to cover. Here's how I think that that might have played out. I feel like a lot of times things get changed. And and this is something from stories we've covered over the years folks tend to think, oh, well, it's always this way from the jump. It's, it, it was a hoax from the start. It was this from the start. I don't think that's how it happens at all. Like I always go back to the Delphus ring. I feel like our witness there, he-
0: Ronnie. Ronnie, yes. I feel like- Well, was, he was the, the boy at the time. The
1: boy at the time who saw the UFO in the ring. I think he saw that at first, and I think it's entirely possible later, because people didn't believe him, he began to exaggerate ongoing things. And I think that probably happens. I think in, in some cases when somebody's a contactee or they experience something really crazy and they find that no one believes them, I do believe it's possible that they continue to tell further details about the story or I've had other encounters. I think we've seen this in a lot of our episodes, whether it's the Delphus Ring or uh, Stan Romanek or the Infield Monster or whatever. It's like that first thing, I think it's real. And then it's like, oh, we can't recreate it. Mm. No one believes me. Then I also think when you get to something like this where it's like, oh, it was a grift. I don't think they necessarily went in trying to launder money. I don't think they went, Mm this will be perfect. This will be our cover story. (laughs) I think maybe they went in and they said, if this is the story at all, Mm -hmm. they went in and said, the czar's treasure may be here. The government, the economy's collapsing. What if we can dig $10 million out of the ground and take it back to the head office? We'll we'll all get promoted because they're firing everybody because we're all communists and whatever. So maybe that's happening. And they go down and they start digging. And then Uh, Then the psychics get involved in a more serious way, and then you get Baba Vanga in there, and at that point, maybe there were people involved that didn't believe anything about the psychics, but they were like, this is an easy way to make a bunch of money go in weird places, and like my Hmm. bank account. And so yeah. they well, say, hey, again, you know you, what? The, the the brand new excavator broke down. Can you send us four more? And then they buy one, and they keep the money for the other two.
0: Everybody's seen Ozark, right? Yeah, that's what you do. Here's <laughs> the weird thing. Like I said, they stopped doing that. It's not like okay, if you got crazy, you know, Oak Island, where there, it's like, well, we know there's a new season coming. They're they're bringing a bunch of uh, heavy equipment across the causeway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's how we know we're gonna do stuff here. They went the other direction. It's like, well, we brought an excavator. It was brand new. Hydraulics working. Uh, the boom was fine, and suddenly now it's not working, so we're doing this by hand. Yeah, like, that's true. Uh, okay. Yeah, but where's and, the money know, going? Where is that money going? That's what I'm saying. So, Scott, that's the point about, yeah, that I have doubts, let's say, about, unless it's some way that we don't know, of course, and of course we don't know, we're speculating. It's all speculation here.
1: Right. Well, if if it's Vetko was uh, taking the money, he certainly wouldn't have to write a book to make a little money after that, because he would have had... Five million lebs or whatever.
0: It's a weird, weird idea. Yeah. I yeah. mean, here's, the, it's all weird. Look, it's weird if it's real and they took this seriously from our, of course, USA perspective. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Well, listen, again, as I said a little while ago, it's a cultural thing a little bit. It's their attitude in the 90s. It's what they're willing to believe and and that uh, you know people say, why do these South American uh, militaries take UFOs so seriously? It's like, because they're not hung up on it like we are. Yeah. They don't put a lot of cramp or, you know. Yeah, they're not <laughs> they're, Yeah, and the it's velocity. not all they're just like and... It's there. Right. Uh, you go to the Atacama Desert, you look up on the sky, and there are bright lights taking 90 degree turns. Yeah. So will you tell us what that is? They're not hung up on it. It's like, ooh, I don't know. This is, could be, like I said, you're you're imbuing it with a lot of uh, belief systems. Right. right. They're less of uh, doing that. Uh, but here's, like like I said, if it isn't true, then like this is a really weird solution yeah. to be doing some kind of subterfuge, even if it turned into that. Yeah, like I, said, I agree uh, with you. I agree with like you. Like I said, like I said, if it's if it's something toxic, you just bury it. You don't tell anybody. You don't apologize. And you don't explain. Right. They don't have to. Right. Uh, so it's that's an odd choice. I'm not saying, again, I, it's speculation on my part. You know, like I said, the, the Ozark thing where you are laundering money, well, then you do have to buy something and you pay, you know, like I said, you overpay grossly for it. Like, yeah. like the, in the, in Ozark where they, they have that motel and it's a good, like I said, that's an enterprise where Marty says, uh, oh, we got to buy, uh, the, the place really needs 25 new air conditioners, but we're going to buy 55. Right. And the cost of that, it's like, well, nobody really knows who's looking at that. Like, well, do you need 55? They don't know. Yeah. You just bought 55, but you didn't need to. So that's what I'm saying is that you have to hide the cost. If anybody's looking at the receipts at all here, you know, like obviously if they have, if they're structured like us, they have a a general accounting office perhaps or something equivalent where they are looking at the receipts. Right.
1: Well, but at that point, given what was going on politically and in terms of the government, things were probably a little bit of a mess.
0: Yeah. Sure. I'll go along with that. Maybe, like I said, I don't know how they work. That's the perfect
1: time to like, you know, there's uh, however untold millions missing from Iraq, right? And all that. Well, that's a, oops,
0: we misplaced 50 million. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying in those cases. You guys did. Somebody else didn't misplace it. It's a lot easier to do, right, as a despot, (laughs) right? So if it's a despotic government, then no one's questioning Saddam. No one's questioning his other people. You just have a palace where you've got, uh, you know, $4 million in cash embedded in the walls. Yeah. Or you have, uh, you know, had, as done here, is through influence peddling. Yeah. It happens everywhere. It's just that we generally try to be more transparent, or that's that's the way the system is supposed to be. And we do try to hold people accountable. But in a case like this, depending on, uh, you know, the chaotic situation is that perhaps this could have happened and it's financial. And then what I would say then to extend that logic is then it does have to be a whole staff, a whole section of the military, high-ranking people in on it. Right.
1: Yeah. And and keeping it a secret and getting away with it and probably facing uh, possibly the death penalty for stealing that much money. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that could get... That could get uh, weird there. So that's our take on that, and I'm I'm kind of with you. It's funny when I guess halfway through these two episodes, I was thinking. Yeah, it seems, I think maybe it's a grift. All the rest of this is crazy. Mm-hmm. This, somebody's making the money disappear. But then the further we got into it, and that's what a lot of people online think, yep. I- including uh, a
0: Slavic Endo yes, in his YouTube true. video. At the end of it, he's like, ah, I think it was a grift. And so... You don't have to stick your neck out very far for that. It's like, well, that, right. that's the thing that makes the most sense. People love uh, money. They love when they can steal it. Yeah. If it's at the uh, collapse of something... Well, here's a, the other thing that I would get from this, and you'd have to talk about people from there, but look, everybody should be proud of where they're from. We have got to be from somewhere. Right. And there's a lot of national pride here I'm sensing, which I, yeah. you know, it, I'm, yeah. it's inspiring. And right. so especially at this time where the country's faltering and it's like, look, we got to all get together here. This whole thing, it's starting from the dream of Kekuminov is about national pride and history and uh, lineage and you got to step up, son, and represent Bulgaria. You come from a long line descended from Tsar Samuil. You've got to yeah. do something historic. And you don't have to go fight an army. What you got to do, though, is, is get people to dig here and dig this uh, this important thing up. Right. And as you pointed out earlier, maybe it's the uh, the trickster element, like, watch this. He's actually going to do it. Yeah, These I'm going to get, gonna they, I'm to get, more. see
1: how many, I'm going to make the officers dig. Yeah, yeah.
0: right. So, but it's, it's all based though, the reason that they undertook this, and it's what Colonel Kanoff says, that they're on board because this would be a great thing for for Bulgaria, is that they need the money, it's a national pride thing. Imagine this, uh, the small Eastern Bloc country that now has some big secrets yeah. that they're holding on to. And then you yeah. wonder if you do believe Elie uh, Loganeva is it went to other as she said more i guess prominent countries so how did that who took over who's got that info yeah yeah who has it i wonder what she thinks and like for me when she's
1: saying that i feel like the obvious implication is is the us or russia is decoding yeah, those notes could be. so which one is it russia's got proximity and deeper ties.
0: Now you have a really freaky Mission Impossible movie with yeah, talking about yeah. Tom Cruise.
1: Yeah, this would make an excellent movie. You could fictionalize the heck out of this right well, away. Well, it could
0: be the, uh, it, it, in a movie sense, this is the uh, the MacGuffin, right? It's the, yeah. uh, the glowing thing in the briefcase. Yeah, you can that never you figure out what it is. You'll never make it. I, cause I tried to
1: write in screenplay class, something like this. And I, they were like, you're never going to be able to make that thing at the end, the right thing. You know, it's, it's, you just well, it's, can't It's do interesting
0: it. you say thing, because again, reading over uh, Colonel Konev's book excerpts here, and it is translated from Bulgaria, is that in quotes, he calls it the thing. It's, yeah. and, and that's what I'm saying. This consciousness is, how do you describe it? It's a thing. It's a force. And that's yeah. what I got at the end of it here is that they're dealing with a force, and he, and what he says directly is that we have all these questions, and you're not going to get an answer, and that's the yeah. answer. Yeah, you have to live with the question. You got yes, this far. I love it when
1: Forrest says live with the question. <laughs> well,
0: it's <laughs> hey, uh, you could you could attribute uh, that to Colonel Canav here, where he's yeah. saying like we had so many things we wanted to know. These secrets are, you know, it's the the biggest carrot in the world in the universe dangled in front of you. It's like. You can get a look at a partial bit of string and a little bit of carrot, but you're not going to see the whole carrot and you're not going to get the
1: carrot. And you know what else is, by the way, geographically interesting about this? When you look at this on Google Earth, as everybody knows, I love to do find out where Mm. the places are that we're talking about. This spot is dead in the middle of the continent. If you were to come down to this Mm -hmm. planet from somewhere else and be like, let's get this in a specific location, equidistant from the closest water and the borders yeah. of the uh, of the continent and that sort of thing, that's where it is. I mean, this is like if you yeah. you you dropped a pin, you you pulled up this section of the world, and you dropped a pin in the middle. That's where Sarichina is.
0: Yeah, it's Western Bulgaria, not Western Bulgaria, just, slide, yeah. just south of a uh, uh, Sofia. Like I said, yeah. the only bus that came in three times when the weather's good, three times a day from the capital city, and. If you look at the region, though, I was going to say with, with Kanev, is that you know it's a mystical place in a sense. It's a sacred Bulgaria. It, it's a it's yeah. a sacred country. There's a lot of pride there, and yeah. we have a different viewpoint here in that people don't feel the same way about the country as a whole. And you may have some regional pride. A lot of folks do, but like it's a different thing. It's a different setup. And so what you have to realize there is that there's they feel differently about this prospect. And then as it goes along, it's like, as kind of said, it's like, yeah, we we may have started off wrong, but there's no, uh, you can't stop this now. We pulled the trigger. This is happening. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to have to see this to the end until somebody stops us. And he said, it's something you had to live through. That really stuck with me. This is a, an experience that we had to live through. There's no, you know, again, as uh, to remind you, what we said in part one is that they thought this was going to be done in three days. That's what they were told. Yeah. And again, yeah, that's, that's a hungry right. ghost thing. It's like, hey, one more thing. No, you're not quite yeah. there. You're
1: almost there. All right. So here's the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up, and that is Dimitri Stotkov, the journalist who really broke this story. He's the guy that uncovered the story. And when you read the article from uh, Blitz that we uh, used for a lot of our material in part one and part two, I did reach out to him on Facebook. I didn't hear back from him, but we're not friends. So mm-hmm. he might've just not seen the message, but in the Blitz article, he's like, you know what, I I broke this story and the world ran with it. It went crazy and nobody really thanked me. And he didn't sound bitter. He was just like, <laughs> look, this came from yeah. me. I, mm-hmm. you know, a lot and a lot of people repurposed the things that I did. He's the one that has the amazing photos because he took his uh, photojournalists with him there, uh, two or three at different times amazing images. And towards the end, before they went to cover it up, they invited them out to go into the hole. Him, of course, and his people, his photographers, as well as other folks who came along all after the fact, all the stuff that he was doing on that, for that paper night work. And they went down in there. And that's what our opening quote was about that Nikolai read for us. It was about that experience of going into the hole and it was a very visceral experience. And they went all the way down to the end where it was a dead end. Mm -hmm. So whatever was down there, if you're putting nuclear waste in there or you're uh, doing anything else, it was clear that a lot of work had really happened. It Mm -hmm. was work that was technically complex. But it seemed to me that Stockhoff's point of view was, this was just something that got out of control. Everyone let their imaginations run wild. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily griff. They were just like, oh, what's happening? And they're getting exciting. And everybody's probably raw because of what's going on Mm. with uh, communism Mm -hmm. and the fall of the wall. And they're just, everyone's bumping into each other anyway. They're just like, where do we do now? Keystone cops a little bit. And I'm not saying, I'm not belittling them. I'm saying your sense of identity goes away. You get confused about things. Anybody that's uh, been fired from a job they really love knows that feeling. (laughs) So it's just kind of like, they're probably all over the place anyway. What do we do? Well, we've still got an army and we've got some heavy equipment and the psychic says, there's something over here. Let's go check it out. And so he seemed to be thinking that it was that kind of thing. He's the one that suggested that Loganova had uh, experience d- uh, doing those markings and hieroglyphic-type markings in the ceramics class, and he just seemed to think that it got blown out of proportion. And all this money got spent, and then it got
0: shut down. He also admits he was not in the hole. He's an, he's an outside observer. Yeah.
1: Right. That he wasn't in there until the end when they said, Hey, go down there and look around if you want, go <laughs> mm-hmm. check it out. Mm-hmm. And the, and they went down there and they took pictures and those pictures are on the internet. Like we said, right, we'll right. have links to where they are. They, we can't put them on our own page cause we didn't get permission, but they're amazing. And there's one Twitter, I think we'll put a link to that tweet. There's a uh, oh, I did. I
0: uh, well, maybe you, I did not yet, but I do have the uh, I have the link where he's uh, posted an educator, a Bulgarian yeah. educator who posted a
1: lot of the pictures in a it Twitter thread. A thread right, it's a Twitter thread. Yeah. yeah, so we'll put that we'll put that up there where you can see them uh, as well. But I just want to give credit where credit's due to Stotkov, because I think he did get shortchanged. Uh, mm-hmm. Without him, this story might have not ever seen the light of day because this really was in the middle of nowhere. He's the one that broke it, and then everyone else came along. So shout out to him if he ever does, in fact, hear this episode. I guess the last thing to say is, we're coming back to Baba Vanga, mm-hmm. she was convinced something was down there, and Laganova was as well, but this is a too big a project to undertake without money. So so we'll leave you with this. Ellie Laganova's husband was friends with Radnyu Minchev. Minchev was the chief of defense when the dig at Serechina started. However, he ultimately got replaced by Lubin Petrov in August of 1991, and Petrov saw the $10 million or $60 million levs that had been mm-hmm. spent in Saricina, and he pulled the plug on the operations. Like, what are you, what are you doing? With well, The government's collapsing. We can't be throwing this money literally into a hole. So whether it was a boondoggle grift or a connection to another world or a stasis chamber holding the first humanoid being on planet Earth, we may never know. According to the team, they were just meters from finding what was buried there when the funding was pulled and the army poured two cement trucks worth of cement into the opening. We'll leave you with one of the last things that Baba Vanga told the team before the pit was sealed up. When you get to the staircase, come again. God is with you. God is with you. <laughs> That's going to wrap up our series entombed in zarichina we'll be back in two weeks with a new show join our patreon to hear us on the much more candid astonishing junk drawer which we often do live on video for our patrons at patreon.com astonishing
0: legends astonishing legends is edited by sarah Voorhees Wendell at vw sound and co-produced by tess feifel who is also head of research and the social media manager our technical producer is ed vacola or as we call him the mechanic Special thanks to our announcer, John Boland.
1: Hi, I'm Andrea Torres, and I give
0: permission to Astonishing Legends. Original Donut Bat Artist. Hi, I'm Marianne Delarocco. This is how you spell my name My voice.
1: Present or future compensation. T O E S A N D E A T Eating Donuts. Bye. Our theme, which is available as a -A 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 ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane
0: at FounderMusic.com. All other music and sound design for the show is composed and created by Alan Caressia. Our logo was created by Tommy Beaver Design, and our animated graphics for social media and YouTube are done by Joshua Sloan at deadstreetproductions.com. Every episode going back to September of 2020 has a transcription available on its
1: corresponding webpage at our website. Earlier transcriptions can be made available upon request to
0: AstonishingContact at gmail.com. Astonishing Legends would not be possible without you, our listeners. Visit our store at AstonishingLegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook, and YouTube. You can also
1: visit us at Patreon.com slash Astonishing Legends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content, including the Patreon-exclusive show Astonishing Junk Drawer which is available every week the main show is not. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions.
0: Good night.